Hey friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your non-diet dietitian, trainer, and host Katie, and this is episode 241. It is also March at the time of this recording, so happy National Nutrition Month. If you haven't already, you're invited to join our free National Nutrition Month mini challenge. Go to katiehake.com forward slash nutrition month. There's not much of a challenge to it. Basically, you'll get a weekly email with just a nugget of information about how you can implement nutrition in a way that doesn't feel restrictive, that doesn't feel overwhelming. And more importantly, it feels sustainable. Today, I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode, this conversation I have with a colleague of mine. Her name is Dylan Murphy. Dylan, first of all, she's one of the best in this intuitive eating, disordered eating, eating disorder space. She has a private practice based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and she has the cutest Southern accent. You're going to just love listening to her voice. She is a registered dietitian and founder of the Free Method Nutrition Practice, a virtual nutrition practice that exists to empower women to break up with diet culture by teaching them how to trust, respect, and feel safe in their bodies. Can we get an amen for that? Dylan and her team of registered dietitians, which Meredith, you have might remember her. She has been on this podcast as well. They equip women with the knowledge and tools to gain clarity in their food choices and confidence in their bodies through nutrition coaching and one-on-one and small group settings. So today we talk about a lot of our experiences with clients in this space, how a lot of what she sees with eating disorders specifically integrates and, and shows up even with those who don't have, you know, actual diagnoses. So I think you're going to get a lot of golden nuggets today from this episode. And Dylan also shares just what food freedom really means, what it means to her, what it can mean for you. So without further ado, on to today's show. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food and their bodies. I'll also share my experience working with clients in my private practice to help women find food freedom and body confidence. I'm on a mission to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Dylan, hi again. I feel like we just hi. talked. I feel like we I talk on Instagram every day. Um, yes. It's so good to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. And I love being, it's fun being on the other side of the mic too. I'm sure you feel the same way, like hosting a podcast. It's fun to like be a guest. Yes. You get used to interviewing and then on the flip side, you're yeah. like, oh wait, I have a lot to say as well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm excited. So for those of you listening who don't know Dylan, I'm excited for you to share her story, but Dylan also has a podcast, which is actually called Food Freedom. So tell us a little bit about first, just you, where, mm-hmm. where you started, where you came from, you know, what is your story with food and body and how did that lead you to become a dietitian? Yeah. So for me, my interest in just like food, nutrition really started in high school. So I played sports all growing up, 
played a lot of different sports, was really into athletics. And that's where kind of my interest in nutrition started of just learning like how food fuels our body and all of that. But I think like a lot of us, it kind of turned into that more like obsession with like, okay, well, how can I eat like the best quote unquote? And like, what do I not need to eat? And it never turned into like an eating disorder, but I would say it it was very disordered eating kind of like orthorexia style tendencies. And it's interesting. And I feel like a lot of dietitians say the same where like going through college, I learned more things that kind of fed into that of like calorie counting and what foods to not eat and what, you know, diet to do. And so it's interesting, like throughout my training as a dietitian, I still was kind of in that of like, Ooh, I'm going to help people be so healthy and lose weight and, and all of that. So for me, then my like shift, which I'm very thankful for now started before I started my own private practice. So I never had to like shift my vision and mission of my private practice, which I'm thankful for. Like a lot of dietitians who start practicing and then they're like, wait a second, I'm conflicted. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what do I do? Yes. (laughs) Like, how do I change? Yeah. Um, So for me, it kind of started, I would say like in my internship and that like few years after my internship, before I started my practice was when I learned more about intuitive eating. And that just made a lot of sense to me of like, okay, I can still help people. Like if they want to eat more veggies and notice that they're not eating many veggies or drink more water, like, sure, there's benefits to that. But I can also help people just like feel better in their body and feel more confident in their relationship with food. And, and even beyond that, I think I've realized a lot of the work that we get to do is like, help people just live more free lives, like where they don't have to think about food all the time and they don't have to count their calories and and do all of that. So it's funny where like looking back, if someone had asked me in high school or college, I thought I was going to be like a sports dietitian. Like I worked with the football team. Everybody was like, (laughs) yes, if you were health conscious, it was like, that was just like, it was almost like the cool thing to do or just, yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I guess the best way to help people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely completely different than I first thought, but I'm very glad with how things turned out. (laughs) So what led you down the path to work with eating disorders specifically? And what was that transition before you started private practice? Like, were you in a hospital? Were you in sports nutrition? Tell us kind of what that journey was like. Yeah, it's funny because I, so right out of my internship, I started working in a skilled nursing facility. So very different than what I do now. I was working with like elderly people and lots of just like tube feeding and puree diets and that fun stuff. And really that was a job that like right out of the internship just fell into my lap. And I was like, I need to make money. Like, sure, we'll take this. And I knew at that point I wanted to start my own practice, but I just didn't know at the time what I wanted to specialize in. And so really for me, what I did And now what I recommend for so many, you know, if there's any dietitians listening who like want to start their own practice, for me, what really helped was just like networking with other people in the community. And thankfully in Nashville, there's a great community of dietitians that work in the area of eating disorders and meeting with a lot of them and kind of just picking their brains. One, that was where I started to learn more for myself around like intuitive eating, working with clients with eating disorders, and then started to hear from these dietitians that they were like completely booked and like how there was such a need for 
dietitians to work with people with eating disorders. Um, and here in Nashville, we have several colleges, pretty affluent colleges and, and naturally like lots of people there struggle with eating disorders. And yeah. so it kind of just like fell into my lap, which was interesting, but like the more that I learned about it. And then I think also just the more I started to work with people with eating disorders, the more I really enjoyed it because I love that. It's not just, you know, like, okay, follow this quote unquote diet. Like it's not like as much medical nutrition therapy. It's more like therapeutic and conversational yeah, the, the and healing. Yes. The healing um, process physically, mentally, yes, emotionally. Absolutely. Like, I feel like it's very rewarding work to do. So really I kind of just like fell into it. And now I, I absolutely realized like, okay, this is like where I'm meant to be working. Like it just makes sense. I love that because I feel like it's just interesting. There's areas that we all get passionate about, especially as dietitians Mm -hmm. where there's pieces of it that are our story, but you know, like you didn't necessarily have an eating disorder, but it sounds like there's probably parts that you you've seen, or you can resonate kind of feeling with it. So specifically like with eating disorders, right. Mm-hmm. But also maybe just people, cause I know you work with a lot of different people. Yeah. What do you feel like holds people back from embracing mm-hmm. a non-diet approach? Right. Cause for you, it sounds like it was kind of easy. You yeah. Learned. It was like, okay, that makes sense. I'm yeah. going on, but where do you see that people really get stuck? Mm. So I think, you know, it can be different for different people, but what I see oftentimes is I think the fear of letting go of like the like control of their weight, like the fear of what's going to happen to my body. Mm-hmm. And what I always tell my clients is like, we don't know what can happen. Like, I don't know your body. I don't know what's going to happen. You could lose weight. It could stay the same. You could gain weight. We don't know what's going to happen. But what I can tell you is your life is going to be so much more free. You're going to be so much more confident. Like I can tell you all these positive benefits that have nothing to do with the number on the scale that can happen. But I, what I see being the hardest thing is letting go of that control of like, but what, what if I do gain weight? How am I going to feel my body? What are people going to think? Because I think if we look at the reason people start diets in the first place, and I guess this is even more, actually, I would say it kind of is with people with eating disorders too, um, not why everyone gets an eating disorder because that like, there's so many other reasons why like eating disorders start, but you know, with diets and, and sometimes what keeps people stuck in their eating disorder is this fear of weight gain of like, what's going to happen to my body. And so I've started these diets because I can control my weight. Or, you know, maybe I'm still stuck in this eating disorder because now I've noticed it works and people are complimenting me and and what's going to happen if I start to loosen the grip on it. So yeah, I see that being a big thing. And then I think there's a lot that can be unpacked beneath that. If it is this like anxiety or control, or, you know, maybe it's even deeper of like this trauma history and their body is something that they feel safe in, but only at this certain size. And so I think the weight aspect is what we kind of see on the surface. And then once we get into sessions with clients, we see a lot more beneath that, that kind of makes it make sense of like, okay, I understand why walking away from this is scary, but just trust me that it's going to be worth it. And obviously that's way easier said than done. Right. (laughs) I want to go back to what you mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people have eating disorders, right? Because Mm -hmm. I was just in an interview with 
somebody just before this episode and she was sharing her story with food and movement. And she said, you know, and she's, she has kids, you know, grown woman, but she says, I didn't realize in the moment, but looking back, I had, Mm. I probably had an eating disorder. Yeah. And so first of all, yeah. What, what are some of those reasons that that happens? And I'm sure, do you, do you see a lot of people who you end up diagnosing or like there's so much kind of gray, right? We work in a lot of this gray area. Yes. So talk to us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So with eating disorders, one thing I really, and why I mentioned it a minute ago too, love to share is, you know, people don't like develop an eating disorder just because they have this desire to lose weight. Now, sure. There's probably, there are people out there where that may be more of the reason, but there's so many other factors like genetics can play a role into it. Just like with any other mental health condition, like someone can be genetically predisposed to developing an eating disorder. Um, it can have a lot to do with their family of origin, what food was like growing up in their house, what their mom's relationship or, you know, parent figure, what their relationship with their body was like, if they were put on diets, like Mm -hmm. trauma can play a huge role. So there's so many other pieces that can impact someone. And a lot of times too, we see like diets can be a huge, huge precursor to an eating disorder where, you know, maybe it just starts as like, okay, I'm just counting calories or I'm just trying to lose, you know, 10 pounds. Curious about health, curious about nutrition. Yeah. Like I just want to learn a little bit more, like kind of quote unquote, clean up my diet. Yeah. But then that's where it like, becomes one more thing of like, well, what if I lost five more pounds or ate a little bit less or, you know, worked out a little bit more. And the next thing we know, it's kind of this full-blown eating disorder. And I feel like there's a lot more people out there who probably do have a diagnosable eating disorder than they may think. Because what I see with a lot of my clients is when we think eating disorder, like a lot of people assume you know, I'm so sick. I'm severely, severely underweight. I'm in the hospital, like kind of what maybe is portrayed in like the media, Yeah. but eating disorders come in all different shapes and sizes. Like you don't have to be underweight to have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just so much that goes into having one that, you know, I think it's easy for people to think they don't have one. And I think there's a lot of like lack of education for dietitians too. I was going to say not dietitians, but dietitians and therapists and like of even knowing what an eating disorder is. And unfortunately dietitians, we can't diagnose eating disorders. Therapists can, but we can't. So sometimes that can be hard of like, okay, I feel Mm. like this person does, but like, I actually can't like write the diagnosis that you have one. It would have to be your doctor or your therapist, but they may not see it. And they may be stuck in, oh, wait, weight focus, weight centric lens yeah. as well. Yes. And I'm, I love that we're talking about this today because I think eating disorders are fascinating, but for so many years and shout out to you, everybody, I'm giving a shout out to Dylan because when I first, <laughs> we have like a private group that we talk and mm-hmm. I was like, guys, I'm so nervous. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to take on like eating disorders, but there's a need here in Indiana yeah. as well. Like that's the sad thing is once you start getting into practice, you realize, oh my gosh, wow, this mm-hmm. is everywhere. But the best this was just such an aha moment for me from Haley Goodrich. She's, you know, one of our mentors. She's so amazing. She's like, Katie, you see so many people already who have, who basically have an undiagnosed eating disorder. And I was like, yeah, she's right. Yeah. 
She's right. <laughs> yes. It's so mm-hmm. true. And I yeah. think there too, I was reading statistics recently as well of just like the under reporting, the, mm-hmm. the misdiagnosis, like there's so much, like you said, misinformation or yeah. just lack of education that yeah. really almost puts this blanket over, over all of it. Yeah. And even with like the DSM-5, which is how they would diagnose an eating disorder, there's a lot of like missing pieces there where it, it can take certain criteria for someone, let's say, to be diagnosed with anorexia, and maybe they don't meet all of that like diagnostic criteria. But we know we're like, this for sure is anorexia. Yeah. But it that can keep people stuck because sometimes I know, you know, getting a diagnosis of anything can be hard. Right. But at the same time, I think it can help kind of give you a direction of like, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. And now here's what I need to do to help overcome that. Again, not that easy, way easier said than done. But I think sometimes having a diagnosis can be really helpful for people. That's you just brought up such a good point because we think of so many other areas where people struggle to get diagnoses, especially with mm-hmm. GI or if people are having uh, you know, neurological issues. I remember my husband, he was having weird tingling in his hands, right? Mm-hmm. And it can be so frustrating not having this label. And so I'm wondering, you know, for anybody listening, what are things that you see or red flags that people should realize like maybe this is an issue? Maybe I yeah. should try to seek, you know, the air quotes diagnosis, but even, you know, disordered eating isn't yeah. technically a diagnosis, but you and I both know it's, I don't know yeah. how we describe like that. You <laughs> deserve help still. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve help. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, I think whether you have a diagnosis of an eating disorder or not, you deserve to get help from a dietitian, a therapist, whatever, you know, may be accessible for you. And knowing, you know, I even tell clients or people that I, I work with, like, we don't have to wait for it to get to an eating disorder either. Like maybe yes. it is just disordered eating right now and you're just struggling, you know, with certain pieces, but it's not as, you know, all consuming. And there's this research study that was done. I can't remember when, like the date of it, but that talked about like how much our time is consumed with thoughts around food. And it talks about like just a someone who I hate even saying like a normal person, but someone who's not struggling with an eating disorder, not struggling with disordered eating, just someone who has a healthy relationship with food yeah, should be thinking about food about like 20% of the time where you're like, okay, what am I having for dinner? Like, oh, I'm excited to go there. Like, can't not my think friends. about like, it. Yeah. yeah. Like you're still <laughs> thinking about it. But right. then if you struggle more with like disordered eating and, and dieting, you're thinking about food. I believe it was like 70% of the time oh. where it occupies a lot of your thoughts. And then when it gets even higher, so when you're thinking about food 90, and then I thought this was interesting to 110% of the time. And what it's saying there is like, if you're dreaming about food, if you're thinking about food, when you're like not even awake, that's when it's like some sort of an eating disorder. But even if you're in that like 70%. So what I like to tell people is like, if food is consuming a majority of your thoughts, food, body image, working out, like any of that stuff is consuming a majority of your thoughts, like that's when getting help can be so important. And maybe in those, you know, let's say it's 60% of your thoughts instead of 95, maybe that looks like just following more people on social media, reading a book about, you know, intuitive eating. Like maybe it doesn't mean you have to start working with a dietitian and a therapist and doing all of these things, but just seeing like, what can I do to help reduce 
that amount of time I think about food. And then as you start to do that, then you might see like, oh, this is harder than I thought. Maybe I do Mm -hmm. need to bring in more support or, okay, this is actually really helping. I'm thinking about food less. So maybe I don't need to, you know, hire someone to help me with this. Yeah. That statistic makes me so sad. Yeah. Like so sad. And I'm sure you probably have clients. I feel like I asked a client this recently, like, give me a percentage. How much Mm -hmm. of your day do you think about food or your body? And this client particularly, I think she said like probably 75%, 80%. And when you think about that, like how many hours a day, Mm -hmm. that is so much brain space. Yeah. And just how that impacts your overall just quality of life of like not being able to go out to dinner with friends and actually be present in that moment and, you know, enjoy time and conversation because you're preoccupied with what you're eating, what you're going to order, what you're going to wear, like all of those things. And so I think that's where, you know, when we even talk about like food freedom and just freedom in general, like that's what it, it should look like being able to like go out to dinner with friends, get dressed, put on an outfit you like, but not have to think about like, oh my gosh, I don't like this. It takes me an hour to pick out something to wear. I have to look up the menu before. Like, And what's interesting kind of going off of that, like I think some of those habits are like normalized in our culture to like, you know, spend an hour trying to find an outfit that that works or spend 30 minutes researching the menu to figure out what can I eat there. Like there's a lot of habits our culture has normalized that are actually very, very disordered. Right. I think about like college, like, and for me, I lived in a sorority for a couple of years and just like the whole process of getting ready. Yes, there are parts of it were fun, but I vividly yeah. remember girls like taking hours to mm-hmm. get ready and picking themselves apart in the mirror. But you're right, like in certain settings, certain mm-hmm. friend, certain relationships too, like it's so normal to yeah. pick apart your body or do those things, yes. all those things. Yes. Like you don't realize it's an issue because it's just what everyone does. And so until someone points it out or you see, you know, let's say you follow an intuitive eating dietitian or someone on Instagram and you see like, oh, it's not supposed to be this way. Like, I thought this was normal. I thought everyone did this because a lot of people do, but then you realize like, wow, that would be so freeing to like get ready and, you know, pick out an outfit maybe five minutes instead of an hour. Yeah. I think for a lot of people and I, I I feel how I, that was my relationship with food, you can't even really, it's hard to even think any other, other Mm -hmm. reality when you're really deep in in it. Yeah. So along that line, you know, what would you say are some of the crossovers or similarities Mm -hmm. that you see with clients who have a diagnosis of anorexia, binge eating disorder, Mm -hmm. orthorexia versus somebody who doesn't have a clinical diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but they're, you know, the normal. They're just living their life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it, kind of what I mentioned with weight earlier and not everyone who struggles with the eating disorder, like is rooted in weight. Like I talked about, but I do see a lot of people. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I think there's probably a like stigma or an assumption with that weight piece and just eating disorders. Yes. Like the assumption that everyone who has one wants to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. So I think for some, some people, it very well can be that way of like, I want to lose weight or I want to stay the size that I am. 
But for a lot of people, it may be more of like the control that it brings them. So for example, like I work with a lot of clients who struggle with like anxiety or OCD or depression or other like mental health, things like that. And so for them, like having this control around food helps to relieve these like anxiety Mm -hmm. symptoms, or it's like how they can kind of fill out their OCD tendencies without, you know, doing something else more extreme. So it's like something they can put all of their attention on and maybe be like really, really good at. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it kind of gives them that like relief where it doesn't really have a lot to do with the weight, but sometimes they may think it does. Like they may think like, oh, I'm doing this because I want to be smaller. But then when they kind of put two and two together, they realize like, no, I'm doing this because it helps like resolve my anxiety or it helps me, you know, with these OCD thoughts that I'm having. Um, And it may not even be OCD or anxiety, but yeah. So I think it's a lot deeper than the weight And some of it too may go back to like family dynamics or relationships where like, Mm. well, you know, I've only the guys I've dated in the past, like always comment on my body. And so, you know, this is the only way I can like be in a relationship with someone is if I'm doing this or like my mom, this is how she always ate. So this is how I should eat. It's not, I think eating disorders can always, can be looked at as like a very like superficial thing to struggle with. Like, mm-hmm. we'll just, you know, eat more. People will say like, just eat a hamburger. Like, it's not that hard. Yeah. Like I, I roll, we're, we're rolling yeah. our eyes if you're listening. Yes. <laughs> yes. Virtual eye roll. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so much more than just like mm-hmm. the weight, but yeah, then going back to like the crossover, I think even just the element of like control that mm-hmm. like the eating disorder slash just like dieting, struggling with disordered eating patterns, it gives people an element of control. Like I can control, you know, how much I eat. I can control how much like my food weighs or how many calories I'm having or what the number on the scale says. And that can be almost like, and I use the term lightly, but like kind of like addictive in a sense to people like, okay, this feels nice. Like I feel in control. It's a positive. Yes. And then I think with both like just dieting and disordered eating and eating disorders, like they probably are getting complimented on it. Like, oh my gosh, you're so healthy. I wish I was as healthy as you. I wish I had that willpower or like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. have you lost weight? Like, so you get a lot of praise from friends, family, coworkers, where then it's like justifies what you're doing. And I think that's what can keep people stuck. It's like, oh, well, everyone's like applauding what I'm doing. I'm like the health guru in the group, like this is all good. So I think a lot of it, a lot of the similarities that I see is a lot of our clients are getting praise for behaviors they're doing, but then they're so miserable because of these behaviors. Like they're not able to fully live their life because of how obsessive they are about, you know, what they're eating, what they're not eating, what they wear. But then it's like this inner like battle of like, but everyone's like applauding me and complimenting me. So I guess I should keep doing this. So it's, yeah, like this feeling of being stuck. Right. You mentioned getting that positive reinforcement from family members or friends mm-hmm. or people in their close circles. Like what advice do you have specifically like how you help with clients who they're, they're here, they're showing up, they're doing the work, they're really trying to break free, but they keep getting those messages. Like that's really... Yeah. Conflicting. (laughs) Mm. 
and oh, to it's be so in that hard. Place. Yes. I feel like everything would be so much easier if no one commented on <laughs> people's weight, what they were eating, yes. any of that. Like, just don't comment on it. But I know that's not how it works. Right. Um, and, you know, what I tell my clients is it kind of depends on the person. So, like, if you have a really good relation, like, if it's a parent or your best friend or someone that you feel comfortable kind of like calling out and, mm. and talking through, like, hey, can we like not talk about, my body or like, can you not like talk about food that way? Like if you feel comfortable kind of bringing that to attention. Yeah, absolutely. I think that can be great. Um, but then I know sometimes either the person may not feel comfortable, like saying something like that, or if or the person be, doesn't know about yes. their eating issues, right? If you mentioned exactly. that there's so many people who struggle with disordered mm-hmm. eating behaviors or eating disorder behaviors, but they live in a larger body or nobody knows because it's just kind of their way to control that. Yeah. How do we handle that? And that's hard. Cause then it's like, you don't want, like maybe that person doesn't want to disclose that they're struggling with an eating disorder. Cause that can be hard for someone to say like, Hey, here's what I'm struggling with. And especially if they live in a larger body where someone may be like, Oh, you struggle. Like, you know, that's like, we've talked about. Right. So I think with some of my clients, what it looks like is even like empowering them with like, we can't change whether someone's going to comment on your weight or food or that sort of thing. So what we can do is talk through like, how can you support yourself after a comment like that happens? Mm -hmm. How can we maybe avoid those type of settings? Like, you know, we just went through the holiday season and I think with that you know, you can kind of walk in knowing like, okay, well, my aunt always is going to comment on what I'm eating. And so I'm going to kind of go into this prepared knowing she may comment, but also maybe I'll be strategic of like, I'm not going to sit by her at the dinner table. Maybe I'm going to maintain my space when we're like around food. If she starts talking about food, maybe I'm going to leave the room. Maybe I need to limit the amount of time that I'm there. Like I'm only going to stay till 2 p.m. So there's different like boundaries that can be put into place because we can't control what people say and what they don't say, but then also advocating for yourself. If you feel comfortable doing that can be really, really helpful as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that, that stepping stone of like having Mm -hmm. strategies, boundaries in place until Mm -hmm. that, um, talking to the client recently. And, you know, it's so fun to see clients on the other side, right. And they're like, then they're like, I just, she said, I just want everybody to be an intuitive eater. And it's like, yeah. yes, we all want that. But yes. what do we do until we get to that point yes. where we feel comfortable telling yes. everybody, you know, or shoving the anti-diet book or intuitive eating book in their face. Yeah. Yes. Those are great uh, tips. And it, I see that with a lot of our clients, like once they get it, like yeah. you want everyone else to get it. Cause you're like, this life is so much better, mm. but we can't change everyone's mind. And that's what, I mean, I feel like I've had to learn that as a dietitian, like mm-hmm. I'll see people or I'll see other dietitians and I'm like, Oh, like, why are you thinking that way? Yeah. Pinch my eyeballs. But yes, <laughs> like I like can't change their mind. And so I have to like recognize like, okay, well, it's going to be more exhausting, more draining for me to try and like have a conversation about with them about why, you know, macro counting isn't necessary. So I'm just not even going to go down that rabbit hole. I'm not even going to have that conversation because I know I can't change their mind. And I have to talk with my clients about that too. And 
that can be hard because especially if it's someone you care about, if it's a family member or a friend that you like so deeply want them to understand this like anti-diet intuitive eating message, but they just are so, so deep in diet culture. I feel like the best thing you can do is just model what intuitive eating is and hope that kind of over time they'll start to notice and be like, tell me a little more. Like this intuitive eating thing seems to really be working for you. Like, tell me more. Like, I feel like that's what you can hope will happen. Yeah. Modeling. I love that example. You mentioned too, like clients get so excited. They want everyone to feel this Mm -hmm. feeling. So I'm curious for you, right? You were Mm -hmm. kind of going through your own journey being a new mom, which congratulations. Colder's adorable. He's (laughs) so cute. We're going to follow Dylan on Instagram. Yes. (laughs) He just will give you all like the less diet culture in your feed and more just like cute friends, more babies, yeah, dogs, right? Yes. So what does food freedom mean to you and how has that evolved or yeah, like what's changed for you in a personal and professional standpoint in this season? Yeah. So what I've always said, um, and I feel like I, I saw this somewhere, so I don't think I like created this <laughs> phrase by any means, but I just don't know where, <laughs> where yeah. I saw it, but like food freedom is being able to say yes to foods because you mean it and no, because you mean it too. And mm-hmm. I think what can often be assumed when we talk about food freedom is, oh, so you just eat ice cream all the time. You just always say yes to ice cream. Cause that's always what you want. And no, like, I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's being able to say yes to something like ice cream because I actually want it. And if I don't want ice cream, being able to say no and knowing that the reason I'm saying no is coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. And so kind of how I've seen that even show up recently in you know the past few months of being a mom, I feel like food for me has taken on a new meaning, especially in those like early few weeks where you're just kind of in survival mode, like trying to just make it through every day where like sometimes food for me was like a lot of protein bars and a lot of like grab and go, or like, I don't know if this is just like a Southern thing or if this is like universal across the U S but meal trains are a really big thing when, okay. So I don't, I don't never know. At least in Indiana. I don't know if we fall in the Midwest (laughs) category. So (laughs) yeah, but like that was huge for us in those early days where like, we didn't have time to cook. And so people would bring us food and and sometimes, you know, maybe it wouldn't necessarily be something that I love or that I was really craving, but it's like, I need dinner. I'm hungry. Someone brought me this amazing casserole. And so that's what we're having for dinner. And that's fine. And I think that's food freedom where I think in the past, you know, if I was dieting or being super like particular about ingredients that I was consuming, I would have seen that casserole or seen that, you know, lasagna or whatever it may be and been like, oh, I can't eat that. And then have the added stress of like, okay, well now I have to take care of this baby and figure out what to have for dinner. Even though someone, you know, selflessly brought me this amazing dinner. Yeah. So yeah, I think food freedom is being able to kind of see like the purpose food serves and yes, it nourishes us. And yes, it's also meant to be fun and exciting and all of these things. But sometimes there are seasons where it's like food mm-hmm. is helping me not be hungry anymore and helping me feed my baby. And that's great. And maybe there's times where I do have more time to like cook fun meals and, and all of that. But I told you before we hit record, like I cannot imagine dieting right now, even like the whole knowing how diets don't work, even that aside, like thinking about 
having the time for something like that. Like there's no way that I would have the time to like be measuring my food or following some strict meal plan. Like you just don't have the time to do that. And if you do, it's like, at what cost? Like, am Mm -hmm. I going to spend less time hanging out with Calder because I'm in the kitchen meal prepping or doing these crazy things? So yeah, I think food freedom just gives you the flexibility to enjoy food, but also be present in other areas of your life. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. I love the way you describe it for somebody listening to who's maybe going through that period of intuitive Mm -hmm. eating where they are allowing themselves to eat a lot of fun foods and eating is very exciting, but recognizing that it's also okay. And that is also normal eating to have periods of life where it's food is functional. But I think Mm -hmm. it's a very different headspace. Just like you said, it's a very different headspace to be in the season as a new mom of Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat this food because it because I'm hungry and I need to eat period end of subject, moving (laughs) on to the next thing I needed to do Yeah. versus that mindset of food is functional. Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat X, Y, Z, certain types of foods because of like my goals. Right. Or so I think kind of going back to what you just said of that, what's your why behind it? What's your intention? What's your motivator behind that decision around food? Yes. And even recognizing like how food makes you feel of like, you know, giving you energy and like, you know, I know. And again, I think this goes into the assumption of like, you eat ice cream all the time if you're practicing food freedom, but knowing Mm. like for me, I love having a smoothie for breakfast. It's like one of my favorite things. And I know it's filling. I know it's going to give me good energy, like all of these things. And choosing that isn't, you know, being like diety or anything like that. So you know, I want people listening to know too, like food freedom doesn't mean you have to, like, if you say yes to kind of the like, quote unquote, healthy option that you're bad or you're dieting, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. seeing, yeah, the why behind it, like what is motivating me to have that smoothie or to put spinach, for example, in my smoothie? Like, is it because I feel like, oh my gosh, I've been so bad, quote unquote. I need greens. I need this. Yeah. Or is it like, <laughs> I enjoy the taste of this. And yeah. like, it gives me energy to go through my work day in the morning and, you know, that's it. Yeah. I always remind people or clients, I'm like, remember, I am a dietitian. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do value nutrition and food as well, but it's, it's funny. And so I think that's a good reminder for people that, the whole point, it sounds like, is food is just food. Food yes. is a lot of things. It's not mm-hmm. just one of these things. It's yes. many aspects of it. Yes. Uh, it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I love it. Well, this has been such a good conversation. As always, I feel like we could talk forever. Yeah. So I want to finish up two questions. So the first question is, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? Ooh, I love that question. Um, hmm, gosh, let me think about that. So early this week, so my mom was in town visiting and hanging out with me and called her while my husband JB was out of town. Where's your fam? Are you not from Nashville originally? Where are you from mm-hmm. originally? I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Oh originally. my gosh, so fun. Yes. Um, so my mom was in town and originally she'd come into town to help me with Calder while JB, my husband was traveling. And then she ended up having to go home early unexpectedly. And so I was left on like basically single mom duty and ah, I'd been super nervous about is that. Your that. First, 
first time, yeah, my yeah. first time. And so I was super nervous, like, oh my gosh, like, am I gonna be able to do this? But now looking back and with this question, I feel like that was such a sweet time. Like just me and Calder for, I think it was like three days, just like hanging out. And I think I enjoyed like the time with him, but I think it also gave me this like confidence boost in myself of like, okay, I can do this. Like I'm learning. I'm like becoming a better mom every day. Like I can take care of him, you know, while JB's out of town. So I think it gave me kind of that needed, like little mom boost of like, you can do this, like you're doing it. Yeah. And then it also just gave me like sweet, like one-on-one time with Calder, which I always enjoy. I love that. I yeah. love that. Oh, <laughs> it makes me excited to have kids. Not yes. yet. I posted something on Instagram yes. and everybody's like, are you pregnant? I'm like, no, I'm not pregnant. That's everybody's assumption, but that is not the answer. One day. Uh, yes. And then last question, because obviously you have so much wisdom to share and it takes a village Tell us where our listeners can find you, where they can listen to your podcast, follow you. Where do you like to hang out? Tell us all the things. Yes. So I feel like the easiest way is on Instagram. I'm at dylanmurphy.rd. And from there, I have a link in my bio that will really lead you to all the things. So my podcast, Food Freedom Podcast, which we're actually going through a little rebrand, it's going to be called Free Method Podcast. Oh, Um, fun. So depending when this airs, it may be called Free Method Podcast at the time. Um, But be sure to put the correct link, whatever it is. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) link and name. Yes. And then my website is freemethodnutrition.com. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to post to all the things in the show notes. And again, Dylan, thank you so much for being on the podcast and, and sharing all your wisdom. Yes. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.